0: Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Good morning, everyone. We welcome those of you who are joining us online, also those of you who are meeting together at one of our other campuses um, uh, in Airdrie, uh, down in Bridgeland, in South Calgary, and also in Northwest Calgary. I'm assuming that all of you received a stone on your way into the worship center today. I must confess it is somewhat intimidating to be preaching to thousands of people who are equipped with stones, (laughs) especially after speaking over the last couple of weeks on money and possessions and giving and (laughs) generosity. I'm sure you're all feeling very empowered right now. I can just imagine some of you thinking, okay, Pastor, just try to go over time one more time. Or just start meddling in what I do with my money one more time. And we're going to have ourselves a stoning. Um, Well, it's not why we gave them to you. Just want to inform you of that. And uh, we'll explain that a little later. Please turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers 13, just kind of keep it open. You know, when I was growing up, my mother had certain china and ornaments and tablecloths that had been handed down uh, from previous generations that um, were never used. When I asked her about it, she indicated they were just too precious to use on ordinary days with ordinary people. Uh, They were reserved for use only on really special occasions and with really special people. While those really special occasions never happened, and it occurred to me at one point that I guess I wasn't really one of those really special people because I never saw her use all that special stuff. All of it just stayed in boxes or collected dust in a china cabinet. You know, there are few things more tragic than a gift that is never opened or... Is never used. As I point out last time, all of us have been given an assortment of very special gifts from our Heavenly Father, including our health, uh, the time, uh, the very life He's given to us, uh, the talents, the, the, the abilities, the spiritual gifts, money and possessions. All of these have come from His gracious hand. And He gives them to us to partner with Him, Fundamentally in bringing people back into relationship with himself and in accomplishing his redemptive purposes in the world. If we hold these gifts with an open hand, if we step out in faith and be what he calls us to be and do what he calls us to do and give what he calls us to give, our trust in God, our friendship and intimacy with God will go to a whole new level. And God's going to use our faithfulness to significantly impact the lives of others for time and for eternity. On the other hand, if we shrink back, if we keep our gifts hidden, if we don't step out and, and, and use what we've been given by the Lord for His purposes, we're going to miss the fulfilling, satisfying, the impactful life that he intended for us, and our world will continue to be a very needy world, not just materially and economically, but also, and perhaps most importantly, spiritually. John Ortberg writes, imagine that your life is over, and you are led to a small room. There are two chairs in that room, one for you and one for God, and there's a DVD player. And God puts a DVD into the machine it has your name on it and it is labeled what might have been imagine watching all that God might have done in and through your life if you would have let him now I remind you that God's ultimate will for us is that we would be his close friend that we would come to know him and trust him in all things Now, if you think about it, you tend not to trust a total stranger. I mean, we tell our children, you know, don't go with total strangers. You know, don't catch a ride with a stranger. We, We communicate that. And it's important because you don't know this person. You don't know anything about their character. You haven't spent any time with them, and therefore you do not know whether they're consistent or whether they're temperamental, whether they're trustworthy and dependable or whether they're unreliable. Well, in the same way, our faith and our trust in God will only become a reality by getting to know God better. And the way we know God better comes primarily through reading and studying the Scriptures but also through experiencing God's reality and power in our lives on a day-to-day basis. And to help us experience Him and His reality, God will often present us with an opportunity or a challenge to trust Him. He calls us to step out and to do what He asks us to do, something that can't be done or accomplished in our own strength but requires us to trust Him to do what we can't do. And so when we step out in faith in response to His leading or prompting in our lives, and we attempt to do something that we know won't happen unless God does it, and then He does it, our trust in Him Our trust in his character is strengthened, and our love and our intimacy with God goes to another level. We see an example of this in Numbers chapter 13. In this chapter, the children of Israel are standing at the threshold of the new land that God has promised them. But instead of handing it over to them, he asks them to enter the land and to possess it in part because he wants to grow their faith. And so they send out 12 spies to kind of scope out the land. The spies encounter a rather muscular, uh, giant-sized, battle-equipped people. 10 of the 12 come back and say, it can't be done. They are going to squash us like grasshoppers. And even though the Hebrew people just witnessed God make a way for them to be freed from slavery in Egypt without a fight, And even though they saw God part the Red Sea and walk across it on dry land, we read in Numbers chapter 14 that instead of trusting God and following the leaders that he had appointed, they believed the pessimists. They caved into fear, they started grumbling and complaining. And they called for a new leader to take them back to the amazing, wonderful life of slavery they had back in Egypt. And in verse 11 of Numbers 14, God says, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the signs I have performed among them. And God determines that this unbelieving generation of people will not enter the land that he promised them. Instead, he decides to wait for a whole generation and accomplish his purposes through the next generation, those who would be prepared to trust him and follow his lead into the promised land. Now, church, there's a word here for us personally, but also as a church. Just as this generation of people miss God's purpose for them, so we can miss God's purpose for us. Have you ever known someone who had so much going for them, but instead of moving forward in faith and obedience to God, they made a series of faithless choices, or fear-based choices, or just self-centered choices, and they missed God's best for them. Have you ever known a church or been part of a ministry in a church that was experiencing the move of God? People were embracing Christ. Enthusiasm was growing. Lives were being transformed. But then a series of faithless choices in tandem with a spirit of pride and power struggles and pessimism and grumbling, spirit of entitlement, snuffed out much of what God was doing. It's a story that's being told again and again in all kinds of different ways. And it grieves our Lord because we're missing out on the faith-building adventures He has for us and the intimacy with Him that comes as a result. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God where there is no faith exercised God's work dies and our friendship with God won't even come anywhere close to what he intended there is no tragedy like the tragedy of an unopened gift Or a life with such God-given potential that just stagnates and goes through the motions because of pride or because of a fear of failure or a fear of inadequacy or just got a life that got totally sidetracked, worshiping counterfeit gods, the counterfeit gods of money, possessions, comfort, and ease. But here's the thing. If you're a Christ follower... God will not leave you alone. If you're a Christ follower, you will sense him prompting you again and again. Through the scriptures, through his whispers, through testimonies of people, through worship services and Bible-based sermons like this. You will hear him challenging you again and again to leave the comfort of routine existence and to abandon yourself to the high adventure of following God with all of your heart. On the other hand, He will not force you to do so. In fact, if we harden our hearts continually in time, His voice and His promptings will begin to diminish. Well, the story continues in Joshua 1-3, to so turn over to Joshua. Forty years have passed. Joshua has now taken over the helm of leadership from Moses. A new generation of Israelites are about to enter the Promised Land. The Hebrew people are undoubtedly uh, fearful of what lies ahead. But Joshua assures them that they are not alone in this adventure of faith. That God is with them and will do what they can't do. And in verse 5... Joshua says to the people, tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. However, he says, if you want to see God's power at work in your life as a people, in your personal life, you must continually be aware of and practice these three things. First of all, God empowers those who consecrate themselves. What that meant for the people of Israel of that day is they needed to go through ritualistic washing. What that means for us today is that we need to cut out anything that gets in the way of our relationship with God and one another. It means we need to repent of sin, of anger, pride, of unforgiveness, of materialism in our lives. It means deliberately dethroning that self-centered part of you that needs to be center stage. That part of you that needs to be seen as the greatest or the best. That part of you that needs to have your own way. That part of you that has kind of a rebellious, grumbling spirit when things are done contrary to the way that you think things should be done. Secondly, God empowers those who keep their eyes fixed on him. Look at Joshua 3, verse 3. He says, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, who are Levites, carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. Now at that time, the Ark was the embodiment of the presence of God. And so when Joshua said, keep your eyes on the Ark, he was really saying, Keep your eyes on the Lord. Don't focus on your circumstances or your fears or your concerns. No, stay focused on the Lord. Let Him guide and direct you. Stay focused on the Lord means that you first and foremost worship Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It means that your greatest aim in life is to give Him All the glory and to receive his affirmation alone. You know, when I'm criticized, when my motives are being questioned, when I'm feeling fearful or inadequate, I have found that the only way I can find genuine peace is getting away by myself and surrendering my life anew to the Lord completely. And to remind myself that it is his smile, it is his approval. That's all I really want or need. You see, the fear of others, the need for other people's approval, can discourage you from taking the risks that God calls you to take from exercising your gifts, or even being the person that God created you to be. If you want to experience the reality and the power of God in your life, then you will need to take the focus off yourself, off of what you think other people think about you, and find your security and your sense of value and identity in Jesus Christ alone. Someone once said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. And that is so true. And then thirdly, God empowers those who take the first step. Look at Joshua 13, verse 13. As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. As soon as you set your foot in the Jordan River. Now, those of you who have been to Israel, you know that the Jordan is not exactly a wide-raging river. But notice it says in verse 15, the Jordan was at flood stage, which means it was wider and deeper than usual. Plus, they were called upon to cross opposite Jericho, which is one of the most treacherous places to cross the Jordan. Now, why would God... Call his people to step out into the Jordan at the most treacherous place and at a time when it was most difficult to do so. Well, look at verse 10, it gives us the answer. So that you will know that the living God is among you. In other words, so you won't have any doubt that our God is true, is the true God that He is totally trustworthy god invites us to step into the jordan as it were so that we might learn and grow in our understanding and our faith that he is trustworthy You know, you can believe that God is the creator of the universe. You can believe that he's the Lord of all the earth. You can believe that he can part seas and that he can dry up raging rivers. You can believe that he can totally transform people, but it will remain a head thing, a cerebral thing only until you experience his power at work in and through your life. And that won't happen as long as your goal in life is to play it safe as long as your goal in life is just to pursue the good life of ease. But it will come to you as you step out in faithful obedience uh, into what he calls you to do, and you put your feet in the water. God always asks us to demonstrate faith by taking the first step. Not always a big leap of faith, Sometimes just a small step, but a step nevertheless. Naaman, he was called upon to wash seven times, not six times, not three times or two times. No, seven times before he was cured of leprosy. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Here in Joshua 3, God asked the people to trust him, to take the first step into the Jordan, even though it was still a raging river. And as you step into the Jordan, as it were, your faith in God will grow step by step, and so will your love for God and your intimacy with God. I remember as a young teen, the first time I felt God calling me to to step out and share Jesus with a friend of mine, I was terrified, and for weeks, I, I just put it off. But finally, I said yes to my Lord. I stepped out. I told Gus about how Jesus had changed my, love, my life and how I believed that he would, would and could change his life, too. And a few minutes later, I was absolutely blown away when he said, I want to have what you have. And we prayed together right on the street corner. That incident was clearly a God thing. I saw God show up in a way that just absolutely, it it just blew me away. And as a result, my trust in him grew, you see, and gave me the courage to step out and to share my love for Jesus again and again. When I was around 16 or so, I remember the Lord calling me to step out and take leadership of the little youth group that I was a part of. And again, I was terrified. I felt so incredibly inadequate. But you see, by then, he'd already proven himself, shown himself to be faithful because I had taken little steps along the way, you know, just being obedient to the things he challenged me to do, what people called me to do and so forth. And I found that he had been faithful in those little assignments And so I took a deep breath and I stepped out. And God not only used me to mentor and encourage others, but that little community greatly impacted my life as well. I still remember the God calling me to step out and accept the call to be youth pastor here at Center Street. And then five years later to be senior pastor of our church. And each time I felt so inadequate, I felt unworthy, I felt incapable But after prayer, I stepped out and I said yes, and I continue to be absolutely amazed. Not only that God would, would choose to use an ordinary person like me to serve an amazing church like this, but how much that step of obedience in my life has grown my relationship with Jesus and grown my faith in what God can do in the lives of people and in his church. Which leads me to ask, where is God calling you to take that first step? He may be asking you to get your feet wet by humbling yourself. And despite the fear or the anger, the resentment, calling someone that you've been avoiding for a long time and seeking reconciliation in the Lord. He may be asking you to get your feet wet by specifically praying for someone at school, at work, uh, in your neighborhood. Calling you to spend some time with them, to serve them, inviting them over for lunch to your community group or even to, to our church, worship services. He may be asking you to give of your time that you feel you just don't have available to give. But he's calling you to step out anyways to lead a community group to host a young adult group to mentor or serve children or youth to serve in some other way and to trust him somehow to make up for the time that you don't think you've got and to bless you to bless you for being obedient to him you may he may ask you to get your feet wet by growing in the grace of giving to step out and break the control that money has in your life by giving more generously than you ever have and trusting God to meet all of your needs in Christ Jesus he may be asking you to get your feet wet by facing the problems that you're having in your marriage stepping out and fighting for your marriage, surrendering your life anew to God, seeking help as a couple rather than resigning yourself to a mediocre marriage and living together as intimate strangers. He may ask you to get your feet wet by facing the truth about the person that you're dating. Your romantic feelings and emotions draw you to this person, but you know this person doesn't share your faith, or you know they have serious character issues. And deep down inside, you know you don't want to be in this kind of combative, tension-filled relationship five years from now, even six months from now, but you won't let go because you can't stand the thought of this person being with someone else. Well, getting your feet wet means you trust God in this. And even though your feelings are screaming, no! You let go. And you do what you know is the right thing to do. Not only for you, but also for this other person. You see, it could be one of a thousand things that God calls you to do. Whatever it is, He's saying to you, There is more to life than staying safely on the river bank. Step off the river bank and get your feet wet. Because as you do, you will grow to not only know and trust God more, but in your love for Him as well. Well, as the priest and the people trusted God, they stepped out into the Jordan River. As promised, the Lord stopped the flow of water. They crossed on dry land to the other side. And God instructed Joshua to choose 12 men, one from each tribe, to take a stone from the middle of the Jordan River, carry them to the other side of the Jordan, and build a memorial with those stones. Now, why did God want this memorial? Verse 24 tells us the answer. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God, might always honor, respect, worship the Lord your God. He wanted them to do this memorial as a visual reminder Of how awesome how faithful how trustworthy and powerful our god is and that he is worthy of all the glory he is worthy of our honor our respect our trust our allegiance and our our total worship one day after settling in to the land of promise he wanted his people to be able to point to that memorial and to say to their children, I was there. I saw God's power at work, not only in helping us to enter this land, but also in taking possession of this land. And I can tell you, our God lives. He is faithful. He's all-powerful. You know, church, our, our world needs to not only hear us say that our God is God, that He is trustworthy, that He is faithful. They need to see these convictions lived out in our lives, and they will when we step out and cross our Jordan. Now, 15 years ago, We celebrated the faithfulness of God in a a similar way as a church. By writing the names of people in our lives that we saw God bring to himself in the past, previous to that time. But also the names of those that we were trusting God to bring to himself in the future, that we were committed to praying for. And then we took those stones and we put them under the stage that I'm standing right now, as a stone memorial of God's faithfulness. And, folks, over the past 15 years, we have heard story after story. We keep hearing them, actually. Just heard one on Friday night. A woman told me of the fact that her brother, 15 years ago, wrote her name on a stone under here somewhere. And three years ago, she came to faith in Christ. And so we've heard story after story of people whose names were put on these stones. People who were prayed for, people who are loved in Jesus' name, who've come to faith, and we give Him all the glory. Well, today, after a brief time of reflection, we want to invite you all to join us in doing another stone memorial of God's faithfulness in what he has done, and what he will do in people's lives going forward. What you write on your stone is between you and God, and, but we'd like to invite you to write the first name or the initial of a person or persons who's come to faith in Christ, and you, you recognize it's been a miracle of God that that's happened. I mean, they're all miracles, you know but you want to recognize that. Write their initials on a stone. And or write the first name or the initial of a person or persons who is far from God, who needs healing or maybe needs to be set free from something that's debilitating or actually destroying them. Or write the initials of a marriage that needs a miracle from God. You see, as we bring these memorial stones to the front of the church, along with our commitment cards and our first fruit offerings, we're reminded again of what we've been trying to say, this entire Build More Room for God initiative. And that is that this is not so much about raising funds to provide more space. This is first and foremost about glorifying God and making more room for God in our lives and then secondly it's about people it's about God's heart for people people we're praying for people we're loving and introducing to Jesus in closing I want to share a story of a man just an ordinary man who lived for Jesus and stepped out in obedience to something that God called him to do. His name is Nicholas Winton. He passed away just a few years ago. Nicholas Winton was born in London, England, to Jewish parents who had come to faith in Christ. In 1938, Nicholas was 29 years old. He was a successful stockbroker. That year, Hitler invaded Czechoslovakia. The Jews in Czechoslovakia were put in refuge camps in Prague and were soon denied basic human rights and the essential needs of life. Many nations refused to allow these Jewish refugees into their country in part because they didn't want to make waves with Hitler. Britain let people in, but they had many restrictions. First of all, they would only allow Jewish children in, and those children had to be under the age of 17. And secondly, they would only allow them in if a British family would adopt them. And thirdly, they would only allow them in if someone would pay for their visa, which was 50 pounds at the time, translated today, uh, over $4,000 U.S. In December of 1938, Nicholas had plans to go skiing in the Swiss Alps. But a very close friend of his invited him to come to Prague and to see the hardship and the suffering that people were enduring under Hitler's oppressive regime. Nicholas had come to know Christ and decided he would go and see what was happening. After seeing the hardship there uh, that, that the people were going through, he was so moved with compassion that he worked tirelessly for nearly a year, going back and forth between England and Prague, getting pictures of the children, documenting the names of as many children as he could, uh, raising as much money uh, to pay for the children's visas and transportation to England as he could, and meeting personally with as many families as he could who would take these children in. In the end, he raised nearly three million dollars of his own money and the money of others And he raised up enough families to sponsor hundreds of children. In March of 1939, the first of what became known as the Kinder Train left Prague through Germany, Holland, on to England. Kinder is the German word for children and therefore could be translated children's train. When Hitler invaded the country... Six months later, in the fall of 1939, there was a ninth kinder train of Jewish children that was set to leave Prague. But the Nazis seized it, and those children never made it out and were never heard of again, likely exterminated along with millions of other Jewish people. But 669 children did make it out and were saved from certain death because this man risked everything to deliver those who were being oppressed. Years later, Nicholas got married and he never told his wife about what he did for these children. Only his mother knew what he had done. Well, in 1988, his wife was digging through the attic and she found a book that was filled with names of Jewish children from 50 years earlier. Next to their name were the names of their parents when they were born and an address in England. Unknown to Nicholas, his wife took the book to a friend who was a journalist who began researching the children. They found that there were 669 that were saved and that over 300 of those children were still alive. The journalist was able to get in touch with 80 of them. They found some of them were members of parliament, journalists, artists, some of them were part of great movements of God. Now at that time there was a show in England called This Is Life. They arranged with the show to get Nicholas there and this is what happened. Watch this. All the letters. Back here is the list of all the children this is Vera Diermunt, now Vera Gissing. We did find her name on his list. Vera Gissing is with us here tonight. Hello, Vera. And uh, I should tell you that you are actually sitting next to Nicholas Winton. And it was just so wonderful, so terribly, terribly touching. in our audience tonight who owes their life to Nicholas Winton. If so, could you stand up, please? So you see, here was a man who just just faithfully stepped out in obedience to God's call and did what he could do to save the lives of as many children as he could. You know, only eternity will reveal the full impact of his step of obedience in the lives of those children and their more than six thousand descendants today in the same way I think a lot of us have no idea of what God can and wants to do through us if our hearts were just fully devoted to him the reality is we're surrounded by people at work at school in our neighborhood who Do not have a human enemy like Hitler, but do have a spiritual enemy who wants to steal their joy, who wants to kill their hope, who wants to destroy their lives. I mean, as Christians, we do believe that, do we not? And God's asking you and me to step out and to commit to praying for them. To step out and to show them his love by serving them, being generous with them. And in his time, introducing them to the Jesus that we know and love. For he is the one, the only one who can save them and redeem them. Amen. You know, there's so much, there's much about heaven that's a mystery. But I believe there's going to be a day when we get to heaven... And how it plays out exactly, I don't know. But I just have this sense that Jesus is going to take us by the hand. And he's going to introduce us to all the people who are impacted in some small or significant way through our faithful prayers, through our faithful living, serving, and giving. We won't even know some of the people. We might not even know most of the people. But they will say things like the class you taught, the money you gave, the church you supported, the prayers you prayed, the time you invested in my life. God used to change the trajectory of my life and my eternity. Thank you for showing me what it meant to live for Jesus. Thank you for giving to the Lord. Thank you for being the real deal and not just going through the motions of your faith. You know, moments after we die, we will know exactly how we should have lived and where outside of work we should have invested the time, the abilities, the money that God gifted us with. We will see with the clarity of eternity. May what will be most important to us then